Amen. This is our last message on the Beatitudes, and some of you are saying praise God, and some of you are uh, you know, saying not yet. I, I don't know which one you are, but regardless, this is the last one. So uh, whatever that incites in you, then uh, we'll just let that happen. But we're looking at the Beatitudes concluded today. And like I said, over the past several weeks, we have taken an in-depth look into the Beatitudes themselves. Now, the greatest emphasis of our study so far has been on the pattern that we've found in the Beatitudes. And that is, uh, the, it leads us to this truth that we can't take any one of these Beatitudes apart from the others. And so these Beatitudes are not just good things that we should do. They're not just good attitudes that we should have. And they're, they're not any of these things. We can't just walk up to the Beatitudes and say, uh, I don't like this one or this one or this one. I would like to be more meek, so I'm going to pull this one out and work on being meek. Or, or throw meek away, but uh, I'll, I'll go down here. You know, I'd like to be a peacemaker. And so I'm going to pull a peacemaker out. I'm going to work on being a peacemaker. And so uh, without having gone through that process that we've been talking about, you pick peacemaker out, and guess what you do? You don't make peace. <laughs> You're going to stir up trouble, or you're going, to, you're going to make things worse in other people's lives. And so this is a process. I use the illustration of a bookshelf, where the Beatitudes are not a collection of miscellaneous books on, on different subjects, but the, it is a volume set. And so they all go with one another. And like with any volume, you've got to read the first one before any of the other ones are going to make sense, right? And you've got to read the second one, and then the third one, and the fourth one, all the way up to the, there's eight Beatitudes. And so when we get to the seventh and eighth Beatitude, uh, which in, in this process we're looking at is really a, a place of maturity in the Christian life, before you can get up there, you have to go through the rest of these. And, and the rest of these have to make sense. And so we've been looking at that process uh, for quite a while. Um, but today we're going to look at it from a different uh, aspect. Now, just a summary for those who may not have been through our series. What we've been saying is that the true Christian life begins with poor in spirit. And if you look at chapter 5, or chapter 5 and verse 3, excuse me, chapter 5 and verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what we've said is, is that, of course, poor in spirit, and all through this message, I don't know why I do this, I've just been doing it, and I hope it makes it clear in your head, but I've been coming all the way over here, and I've been trying to illustrate a, a step process that we're going through the Beatitudes. And so I've been putting poor in spirit over here. It just dawned on me the other day that we don't read from here to there, though, do we? <laughs> so maybe I should put poor in spirit over there. But we're going to keep reading. We're, we're reading Hebrew this morning, okay? So we're going to read from this way and head this way. But it starts with poor in spirit. And so we start with poor in spirit. And uh, poor in spirit is the entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Really, as we talk even about salvation, uh, if we're going to be saved there has to be some poverty of spirit. We have to realize that salvation is not upon my own merit. Salvation is not upon my own righteousness. Salvation is not upon my own good works. But I am empty. I am completely in poverty of all goodness. And so I come before the cross empty-handed and, and look to Christ for salvation. And that is the entrance into the gate. That is the gate of the kingdom. But then also, that's also an attitude that I should take upon myself in my everyday living as well. And so we enter into the, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we enter into the Beatitudes that war in the Spirit. Then I kept walking all the way over here, and I would tell you that the end of all this, the goal of all the Beatitudes, is really the seventh one, the seventh Beatitude. And that is, is that through that process of humiliation, 
through that process of being humble and becoming meek, as we empty ourselves of our righteousness and ask that God would fill us with His, that He begins growing and filling us with His Spirit and His goodness and to the ultimate goal that we become peacemakers in this world, that we stand in the gap between God and sinners. And then, of course, we said that the eighth beatitude, the very last one, is not so much a, something that we've got to do, but it's something that others are going to do to us. When we go through this process, when we become a, a, a really mature Christian who is making peace in this world, who is working towards peace in the life of others and between them and God, what's going to happen is the world is going to see us as a threat and they're going to begin striking out against us. And so that leads us to the eighth one. Blessed are the persecuted. And, uh, and then he says to them personally, he says, and blessed are you when people persecute you, when they revile you and, and do all those manner of, uh, of evil against you. Blessed are you for great is your reward in heaven. And so that is the process that we've been going through, at least in a summarized form anyway. Today, though, we're going to shift our focus from this process that we've been talking about and we're going to look at what these Beatitudes mean to us as a whole. And so we're not going to be looking at one or, or the other one. We're going to skip past all the definitions. We're just going to look at what the Beatitudes are and what they mean to us all together. Now, there's three things that I want to go through here uh, as we look through these Beatitudes this morning. Three things I want to look at. And the first thing is the criteria. The criteria. When we look at the Beatitudes as a whole... They show us that Jesus expects more out of us than just a name badge. And that's something that I've said a couple of times through this, uh, through this series on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, is that in the Beatitudes, what, what we're finding is that the, the term Christian is more than just a title that we wear. Christ wants more from you, is what I'm saying. He wants more for you as a Christian than just for you to wear a label that says, I'm a Christian, but then to live a life that doesn't show that. He wants more from you. This is a kingdom that we are living in. We are representatives of something bigger, of something else. The kingdom of heaven. And so as we walk around wearing that name badge, now put the badge on, okay? Wear it. But live like it. Act like it. And, and what we're saying is that the Sermon on the Mount shows us how to be more than just Christians by title or Christians by name. And it shows us what He expects. Jesus wants righteousness from us. This is a kingdom of righteousness. And as we've said several times, it's a kingdom of excellence. Whether you, whether you agree with me on this or not, it does, it's really irrelevant because we find it the truth in God's Word. Jesus expects excellence out of you. This whole thing where He's all, he's all right with your sin. Or He's easy going about the stuff that you do. He's forgiving, absolutely. He's loving. His grace is sufficient. All those things are true. But He hates your sin. And He expects more out of you than to be a, a title wearer that goes around and, and acts in ways that are not Christian. And so the Beatitudes show us how to be a genuine, true follower of Christ. Now, the reason why we spent so much time on the Beatitudes and, and, and all this time pulling them apart and dissecting each one and hammering so hard on the Christian life is because of this simple fact that Christians are losing their identity. And this is so important. Christians are losing their identity. You see, Christians for the most part are no longer seen today as radicals. They're not seen as 
fanatics or countercultural. And even the few that are considered those things usually give the rest of us a bad name, don't they? <laughs> I mean, they, they take the word fanatic or the word radical uh, or counterculture and they make it something totally different, something that's really wrong, something that sheds a, light, a bad light on Christ. And that's not what we're concerned with. That's not what we want to become. But I think that when Jesus called out His church, when He called out Christians and, and these disciples began following Him, He taught them how to act differently from their culture. He taught them to be fanatics. A fanatic is someone that goes above and beyond, that completely changes, that's against all of the... Uh, not so much against, but their lifestyle shows something that is over the top uh, against what is uh, usually viewed as being mainstream society. And, of course, that word countercultural itself. I've been using this term, this countercultural uh, term over and over through the Beatitudes. This term points toward a lifestyle and moral standards that are fundamentally different from that of mainstream society. And so that Christians, a true Christian, is not someone, again, that just wears a badge, not someone that just shows up to church, but that a true Christian is one that, in the midst of a society out there that's against God, they stand out. And they stand for Him. And that's what a Christian should be. They're going to stand for his morals. They're going to stand for what is right, regardless of, uh, of what society may say. Now, most church members fall into one of two categories. And I'll let you define which one you are today. But most church members, not all of them, most church members fall into one of two categories. They're either legalistic or they're liberal. And I'll let you decide which one you are. But most church members are either legalistic or they're liberal. They're on one or the other extreme side of, uh, of the equation. They're either so self-righteous, this is what the liberal is, the liberal is so self-righteous that they do nothing but cast judgment on society. They, they have become so righteous in themselves, so, so apart from everything else, so separated, so holy, so righteous, so good, so godly, and I'll just let you add, build on all those adjectives, but, but they, they feel that they are so far over here that they do nothing but scowl and look down their noses at the rest of the people who aren't like them. That's what a legalistic does. And by the way, their, their devotion to Christ is all through, it's all through them. It's all through what they can do and through their meticulous keeping of God's rules and laws and demanding that others do it. Well, then on the other side of the spectrum, we have liberals here who don't follow any rules. <laughs> they, they just do whatever they want. And, and so God, God doesn't care about all that. He doesn't care how you dress. He doesn't care what you wear. He doesn't care what you do. He doesn't care where you go. And God is loving, and He's just accepting of everything and everybody. They're so far on the other side of the spectrum that they've become unidentifiable as a Christian. Now, I want us to notice that in Scripture, Jesus condemned both. The Pharisees were the legalists, and we've got a bunch of them sitting in church pews today. But the Pharisees were the legalists over here who, who were scowling down their noses at everyone. And then we have the liberals over here, and Jesus said, y'all wrong too. Neither one of them are Christian. 
You see, Jesus' Christianity, and this is why Christianity has such a bad name, because when people view Christians, they're either seeing these Christians, or they're seeing the liberals over here. They're, they're either seeing the ones that don't like anybody, or the ones that are accepting of, of anything. And they're looking at both, and they're saying, neither one of these are what you're calling Christian. I mean, I read through the Bible. I'm saying, I'm saying this as a non-believer. There are non-believers that read through the Bible. And when they see Jesus and they see Christian, they're not seeing what we're putting out. And so Jesus' Christianity, Jesus' Christianity is radically different from either one of these. And I, I'm going to call it this through the rest of the sermon. Jesus' Christianity. The reason I'm saying this is because we've come up with our own hybrid of Christianity. We've come up with our own... Uh, uh, I guess, species, if you want to call it, of, of what Christianity is. And it's not Christian. It's not Jesus. It's not Christ. It's what we've made it to be. But Jesus' Christianity is radically different from either one of these two that, that I've just discussed. Jesus' Christianity does not stand on one side of society and condemn murderers while secretly hating others. Jesus' Christianity doesn't judge adulterers who live in secret uh, who uh, judge adulterers, excuse me, while they themselves are living in secret lust. Jesus' Christianity does not criticize those who have fallen in a ditch and refuse to help them out. And that's where the legalists are. Legalists say, you can't do this. You're not supposed to do this. This is wrong. You're wrong for doing this. And, and, and it's just judgment all the time. It's just casting judgment and casting judgment. And, and what they're doing is they're building themselves up by tearing everybody else down. And so they'll, they'll judge the sinners, and they'll judge the adulterers, they'll judge the thieves and the murderers and all those other things. But inside, they're really just as rotten as anybody else is. And they've got the wrong motivations. And they've got the wrong outlook on life. And, and they're just rotten. And Jesus told the Pharisees this. Those were the legalists of his days. He, he said, you're like whited sepulchers, whitewashed. On the outside, you appear beautiful. You appear righteous to men, but on the inside, you're full of death and corruption, rottenness, decay. And that's where, that's where our legalists stand today in Christianity as well. They're so busy looking down at their noses at everybody else, they don't see how rotten they really are, how sinful they, they really are. And Jesus deals with this through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. I pointed to some specific ones. The legalist says, you're not supposed to commit adultery. We need to throw anybody out of church that's living in adultery. We, you know, we're, we're to judge them. And, and I do believe that Christ does talk, you know, and the Bible teaches about discipline and, and on those areas. But, but this is what I'm saying is, is we're so fast to catch judgment on adulterers and those that are living in adultery, but inside their own hearts they're looking and lusting. And Jesus says you can't do that. Or we'll, we'll cast our fingers out the murderers, but Jesus said if you hate your brother, you, you've already committed murder. You're a murderer at heart. And so Jesus' Christianity is not legalism. And Christ, true Christians are not legalists. Yet at the same time, Jesus' Christianity doesn't become so opposed to legalism that it becomes tolerant of sin. And that's what I think happens in, in many of our churches and many of, of the Christians, that uh, church members sitting on the pews, is that they look at the legalism and they eventually figure out that's not right. That, that's wrong. 
I know that's wrong. It's, that's not what Christ would have me do. And so instead of finding what is right, they go all the way over on the other side and they just say, well, God just doesn't care about any of this stuff. And so they live their life however they want. And, and whichever side you fall on, I, the, the point I'm trying to drive home today is that neither one is Christian. And so we have a world filled with Christianity and very few real Christians in the world today. You see, Jesus' Christianity stands right in the middle. It stands right in the middle between the two. Now, I didn't say that it rides the fence or that it's somehow a mixture of the two, and I, I don't want to give that picture at all, that if you, if you go in the middle between legalism and, and, uh, and liberalism, that you're going to find what true Christianity is. Uh, Jesus' Christianity doesn't ride the fence on anything. Matter of fact, he, he says, stop being lukewarm and figure out whether you're going to be hot or cold and do those, right? And, and it's not a mixture of the two. It's not, well, we're just going to keep enough legalism and just have enough liberalism that will even it out, and that's what true Christianity is. That's not what I'm saying when I say that it falls in the middle. No, Jesus' Christianity is completely emptied of self-righteousness. His Christian knows what he is apart from Christ and doesn't dare think of himself above anyone. And that's really what we find in verses 3 through 6. Now, here's what I want you to do. and this, We're going to use this for the rest of the message. How many of you write in your Bibles? Raise your hand if you write in your Bibles. All right, raise your hand if you don't write in your Bibles. Okay, so if you don't write in your Bibles or if you do write in your Bibles, you can still do something this morning, okay? I want you to follow me on down to verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. When you get to righteousness, if you write in your Bibles, I want you to draw just a little line. It can be up and down or a slash, whatever you want to do. Just draw a line right there in your Bibles to help you remember. And if you don't write in your Bibles, then in your mind draw a line right there. And just remember that there, there is a separation. There's a line there. And I want us to look at the Beatitudes from this aspect today because I really believe that verse 6, right there in the middle of verse 6, is, is the dividing line between these, uh, these two sections of the Beatitudes. Now, in verse 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And then verse 6 at the beginning says, Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. The true Christian then is not a legalist. He's not one that thinks highly of himself and thinks poorly of others. But a true Christian is one who is emptied of all his own goodness. He's emptied of all his own righteousness. He's emptied of anything that would cause him to look badly at anyone else. But in true recognition of who he is and what he is apart from Jesus Christ, which is nothing by the way, that's how he begins looking at life. And that's how he begins looking at others. So that when he sees sinners, when he sees someone who is living in adultery, or he sees someone who's committing crimes, or he sees someone who, who's just living in sin generally, that he doesn't look at them and say, you're, you're a sinner, you're low down, you're nothing. But instead he says, listen, let me counsel with you. Now what you did was wrong. But I want you to know that I'm no better. I'm a sinner too. Jesus did something for me. He showed me what I really was. He died on a cross at Calvary. He took my place. I was a pauper. I was a I was a criminal. 
And he saved me and made me his son. And that's all that I am. I'm just like you. I just have Jesus. He's the difference. And I want you to know that what you're doing is wrong, but that he can make it right. See, he doesn't cast judgment. He doesn't say you're worthless. He says, I'm worthless, but Christ gave me worth and he can give you worth as well. I think that's what we find in true Christianity. It's just that emptiness of self where, where he even gets to the point that he's, he's so empty of his own righteousness that he's starving for real righteousness in his life. At the same time, Jesus' Christianity does not hold anger in the heart towards others. His Christian doesn't tolerate sin in his own life, but is rather characterized by something different, which is the righteousness of God. And so, yes, no, he, he's, not, uh, he's not filled with his own righteousness. He's been emptied of all of his own self-righteousness. But at the same time, there's, there's this, this uh, sense of, of excellence that he knows that God expects from him. And so he begins asking God for his righteousness and, and allowing God to apply true righteousness to his life. And that's where we pick up at the, uh, the last half of verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's where your slash is. All right? They're, they're empty. They're poor. All those things. It says, for they shall be filled. And so through the rest of these Beatitudes, we're seeing God do that. And when God fills them, then they become merciful towards others. When God fills them, they become pure in heart. When God fills them, they become a mature Christian who no longer is is, uh, condemning but trying to make peace between man and God. And that's what happens when when a person, a child of God, is filled with His righteousness. You see, Jesus' Christianity dares to be in the world, as we see in verses 3 through 6. They dare to be in the world, but not of the world, as we find through the rest of those verses. They're ones who will stand in a world of unrighteousness without casting judgment on others, but still yet, uh, though they're in the world, they're not going to act like the world. They're going to come apart and be, be what God intended them to be, be a, 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 a nation of true righteousness in a world of sin. And true humility and righteousness, Jesus' Christianity stands boldly in a world of sin and chaos as an ambassador of peace. And that's what we find in verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now listen, when we stand in a world of hatred, in a world of envy, in a world of backbiting and deception, in a world of perversion and crookedness and ruthlessness, and we dare to live a life that is characterized by meekness and mercy and righteousness and peace, I want you to know we are going to be attacked. It's it's naturally going to happen as we see in verses 10 through 12. He says, Blessed are those which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says to them, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ironically, do you know what happens when the world persecutes Christians? Now, none of that sounds fun. We don't like having things thrown at us, do we? We don't like being persecuted. 
We don't like this idea that if we live a true Christian life, that people are naturally going to hate us and misuse us and do all those manners of evil against us. But nobody wants that, do they? And so we, sometimes that's what we do is we opt out. It's just easier to live under the radar. But let's say that we decide we're going to give it all. We decide we're, we're going to surrender all to Jesus. That we're going to lay our lives on the, ra- on the, li- on the line. Excuse me. We're going to lay our lives on the line. And we're, we're going to give everything to Him. We're going to go full force into this Christian life. And we're going to be emptied of self-righteousness and ask that He fill us with His. And, and, and if that brings about persecution, then so be it. But do you know what happens to a people that are persecuted? You know what happens when God's people stand up in this world and people start throwing rocks or, or bullets start flying at them or whatever happens and they're persecuted and Satan begins trying to stamp them out. Ironically, what happens is, is that Christianity doesn't go silent. Satan has tried over and over and over again to annihilate every Christian from the earth. And what you'll, have, what you'll see in every country where persecution goes on, in any time period when Christians are standing up for Christ and they're being persecuted, it's not that Christianity gets stamped out, but there is an explosion of the truth. There's an explosion of righteousness. There's an explosion of the Gospel. And people start getting saved. And lives start changing. They can't stamp us out. unless we choose to remain silent. Unless we choose to blend in. We've got a whole bunch of undercover Christians. Don't we? We don't want anybody knowing. we got the badge, but we wear something over it. But true, true Christians who will give all are going to be persecuted. Jesus promises that. But when, when we're persecuted, we just grow. There's just more of us. They can't stamp us out. Now listen, let's change gears here for just a moment. As we look at the Beatitudes, we see several different things that we are... That, that we might view as being commandments or things that we're supposed to be, poor in spirit, one that mourns, one that's meek, hungry and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, all those different things. We may read through those, uh, but I want you to understand that the Beatitudes are not simply a list of commands that we are to keep. As a matter of fact, they are the framework for the entire Sermon on the Mount. They are the framework for the whole Christian life. And that's what I want you to see. As we think about the Ten Commandments, uh, I'll just say this briefly. We look at the Ten Commandments. Some, sometimes people will talk about the law of God, and you've asked somebody, what's the law? They'll say, well, it's the Ten Commandments. And that is true to a sense. But there are actually several books of the law uh, in the Bible. The first five books of the, of the Bible are called the law. Those are the law, the Pentateuch. And, uh, and those are all five of Moses' books. That is all the law. But the entire law is built on a framework of ten different commandments. Thou shalt not have any other gods for me, and you know, so on and so forth. It goes down through the whole list of things, uh, of commandments. And that all of the law, all the rest of God's commands, and all the rest of His, uh, of His Word, and all is built upon that framework of the Ten Commandments. So that whichever command you're looking at, 
you see how it could relate to one of the Ten Commandments. Well, the same is true in the Beatitudes as well. What we find is that the Beatitudes are not just a list of things to do, but it's actually the framework on which our whole Christian life, all of Christianity really, is built. Now, of course, we know that the foundation is the cross of Christ and what He did at Calvary and, and His resurrection. But I'm talking about the Christian life itself is built upon these principles, built upon these Beatitudes. They show us not only how to be a good Christian, but they show us how to be like Christ. You know, as we read through these Beatitudes, you're going to start noticing that these aren't just random things that Jesus is pointing out, but this was Him. That He was poor in spirit. That He was meek and lowly. That He was righteous. That He was pure in heart. And He was merciful. And really, they're just characteristics of Christ Himself. So in essence, what we could say is that Jesus said this in the Beatitudes. He said, this is my kingdom. I am the king. This is what I expect. And so He says to His followers, be like Me. You want to be like Me? Here's what you do. Be poor in spirit. Mourn over your sin. Be meek. So on and so forth. That is the criteria of the Beatitudes. And it's a lot. Listen, I know it's a lot of information. And I've thrown already a lot at you this morning. But very briefly, I want us to look at the next thing today. And that is the crisis. We have what the Beatitudes expect. What they require. All right, and that's what we've looked at this morning. I want us to look at the crisis. Here's the crisis. All the stuff that I just told you that you have to do in order to be a true Christian, all the stuff that I listed out, all these last several messages that we've looked at where we looked at each beatitude and how we're to be this and to be that and so on and so forth, all that stuff that I've given to you, here's the crisis. You can't do them. It's impossible. Now, this conclusion that you can't do them is illustrated by the fact that you're not. And listen, if we had a church full of Christians who were living the Beatitudes, this church would look a whole lot different this morning, wouldn't it? This community would look a whole lot different this morning. And so it's best illustrated by the fact that the simple fact that we're not living these things. We can't do them on our own. In fact, I just want I want you to ask this question or answer this for yourself. How many of this kind of Christian, how many do you actually even know? How many have you ever actually met in your life? And we we've met some. We won't lie. But that number has been very few. They are far and few between that you're going to find someone who's truly meek and who truly has been filled with the righteousness of God and is showing that through his life. There's few out there. We have a few in our church. And we know it. We can see it. It's, it's written all over them. But the truth is, is that most Christians are not living this kind of life. They They have not sold out to the the Beatitude Christian. Listen, if these were things that we could just do, then we wouldn't be told that we have to be meek and merciful. We'd already be doing those things if, if these were things that we were naturally just going to pick up. Now listen, I said that we can't do it like it's bad news. 
that's how I uh, I presented it to you, as though it was something it was some kind of bad news that we have that we can't do it. But now I wanted to tell you why it isn't. I, I want to tell you why it's not bad news. You see, here's the reason why the fact that I can't keep the beatitudes, that I can't be this kind of Christian. Here's why this is not bad news. This is why it's good news. Very simply, I'm a failure. Now, go promote church like that. Our pastor's a failure. Come see him. Yeah. I, I am a failure. I want you to know, about that, know that about me. See, sometimes I can't even put a sentence together. I'm a failure. And I'm a miserable failure at that. I mess things up all the time. That's my wife. She'll tell you. And she'll be telling the truth. I posted this on Facebook after I had written it in my sermon notes. Some of you may have seen this, but I made the statement that I am consistent in my inconsistency. But at least I'm consistent. So if you're dependent on me, you've got your eyes on the wrong person. If you're here for me, you're here for the wrong reasons. I'm not. I, I really am a failure. And so if it's up to me to be this kind of Christian that Jesus talks about, then it's going to be a bad balancing act at best because I'll try to juggle and, and I may hold it up for a little bit, but eventually it's going to tip over. And it's all going to spill, and I'm going to have to start over uh, all over again. You see, I can't do it. I, I don't have the ability. I've tried. I can't. I know that I can't, and neither can you. But here's the thing. Even if we could, even if we could do all these things that Jesus said, even if we could be the best beatitude Christian that's out there, it would not take long after we began being that ourselves, it would not take long for us to fall right back into that pattern of self-righteousness and legalism. Listen, if I could be a great Christian, then it's not going to be long before I start expecting others to be like me. And so what do I do? I start judging. And I start criticizing. And I start looking down. So there I am, right back in my pattern of legalism all over again. And so even if I could, I I wouldn't be able to keep it up because I, I just can't do it. But you see, Jesus has a better plan for His people. One that doesn't lean on our abilities, but upon His abilities. A pattern that we find all over the Bible, over and over and over again, is that God usually does the biggest things with the smallest people. And I want you to think about that as you think through all the Bible stories you've ever heard. God usually does the biggest things with the smallest people. He's not looking for the strongest. He's not looking for the best. He's not looking for the fastest or or for the most skilled or for the most educated. He's not looking for, for the elite out there. But what we find over and over again is that He goes to the smallest one. He goes to the least of them all. And He says, you come here, I'm going to do something with you. I'm going to change lives with you. I'm going to motivate nations with you. I'm going to bring people to me through you. And you think about that. Abraham had no children. But it was through him that he built the nation of Israel. Joseph was the runt of the family. Moses couldn't even speak. Daniel was a youth. Peter was uneducated. And Paul was a murderer. 
But I want you to think of all the things that God did through those people. And you're not much either. You might not like it, but you're not. We're all as dust. Our life is just a vapor. It's here for a moment and it's gone. There's no real greatness in men. I truly believe that God wants to use empty vessels. He wants one that's poured out. One that's that's just completely empty. You know, we have open positions laid around everywhere around our church that need to be filled. And we've got a church full of people who can't do it. You don't believe me, just ask them. We need this done. I can't do that. We need this done. I, I can't. Praise God, you're the one for the job. You see, if God put... if God wanted you in a position that you already knew everything about how to do, that wouldn't bring him much glory, would it? <laughs> and you'd probably just mess it up anyway. And so he wants the ones that, that don't, that can't. And he'll take the feeblest, and he'll, he'll take the one who, who maybe has no training or no skill or, or none of the above, and he says, all right, I'll use you. If you're willing, I'll use you. And so he wants one that's been empty completely of, of all their own abilities, of all their own things, so that he could put the right stuff in and use them for his honor and glory. The point is this. And listen, sometimes some things do require certain, certain training or whatever, but I, I want you to understand that the point is that God doesn't need your abilities. He needs your willing heart. And that's all that he asks. And maybe he's pressed on some hearts today. Or over the past several weeks, maybe he's pressed something that he wants you to be doing, something that he wants you to be involved with. And you've been telling yourself and telling God over and over again like Moses did, I can't, Lord. I I don't have the ability. I'm not the one. You need to choose somebody else. And over and over again, he he says, I don't need what you're able to do. I just need you to go. Just do it. I'll be with you. I made your mouth. I made your mind. I I made your hands. I'll be with you. You just do what I ask. I believe those are the type of people God wants. That leads to the last thing, is the the Christ. I'm going to be very brief on this. I'd ask for your attention just a few minutes more. Listen, we cannot be a beatitude Christian on our own. And that is the simple truth. But then again, Jesus never told us to. See, that's where it all comes back and hinges on verse 6. He could have left this out, but he didn't. He said, Bless her though which hunger and thirst after righteousness. And what was that last part? For they shall be filled. Now, something, I know we're splitting hairs here, but Jesus could have said a whole lot of stuff there. Bless her those which hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall fill themselves. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for if they try really hard, they might can be righteous. That's not what he said. 
He said, Blessed are those which hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. Not by themselves. This is passive. That means that somebody else is going to fill. Who's going to do that? The source of righteousness, which is God. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, because if we're, if we're speaking from God's point of view, because I will fill them. I will make them full. I will give them what they need. Jesus never told us to do this by ourselves. We're not to be lone rangers in the world. We've, we've got a guy that's going with us, and he's big, and he's, he's able. And so I want you to understand that as we look at the Beatitudes, yes, poor in spirit is the gate into the kingdom. Being a peacemaker is the goal. But this is the key right here. This is the key. It's for us to, to hunger and thirst after righteousness in our own emptiness, to, to, to yearn and crave for His so that He can fill us with His righteousness and make us the Christians we're supposed to be. Jesus' desire at king, as King is not only to reign over us, but I want you to understand this. He wants to reign in us. Not just to reign over us, but to reign in us. In computer terms, How many of you had a computer, by the way? Sometimes what has to happen on my computer is I've got to go down to the start button. I've got to go place where it says log out. Anybody ever done that before? And, um, and, and I go, it takes me back to this home page. That's what you want to I don't know what this stuff's called. But it takes me back to this thing. <laughs> and, and it gives you the option to change users or change administrators. And I think that's what the Christian life is supposed to be. We've been the administrator for long enough. And Jesus says, if you'll let me, if you'll, if you'll empty yourself, I'll come in. And if you're willing, I'll take over. I'll be your administrator. You just got to log out. But you log out. You let me be the administrator and all the stuff that you've been trying to do for so long is going to start working. I've got the right passwords. I, I, know, I know the right things to push. Randall knows the right buttons, but I don't. I had to call him a lot of times. I'm like, I have no idea what this is doing. What is it saying? All right? But God, He knows. He knows where, how to do it. He knows what we're supposed to be doing and and where we need to go to do it. And so if we'll just log out and, and let Him become our administrator, then the Christian life will be so much easier for us. And is that not what we find in the Beatitudes? I find it fascinating. I, this is the last thing. Just, just listen for a few seconds more. Last thing, and then we'll, we'll dismiss. I find it fascinating that the entire law, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, can be summarized like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is how Jesus sum summarized the entire law of God. And is that not what we find in the Beatitudes? In verses 3 through 6, that we are to be poor, meek lovers of God. And in verses 6 through 10, or 6 through 9, to be merciful, righteous, peacemakers among men. 
The Beatitudes tell us the same thing that, that the Old Testament taught us, to love God and to love others. To serve God and serve others. And that's really what the Christian life is about. It's not, it's not a self-service thing. It's not a self-centered thing. It's not a, a building self up. We're, we're gone. We're dead. They already had our funeral. And what life we live now, we're, we're living for the Son of God who himself did not come to build up his own reputation but became a servant and served God. He did always what his father, what, what pleased his Father and he served others. And that's what he wants us to be. That's the pattern that he gave for our lives. And I want you to ask, in, in all sincerity this morning, we, this, this whole beatitude process has been an evaluation and this is the last one. This is the last message on Beatitudes. I want you to ask, after all this evaluating, can you say at the end, yes, I am truly the Christian that God wants me to be. I exhibit all these things in my life. Or do you still find yourself struggling with some of these? And most of us here would say, yes, I do. I'm still struggling. And I am, personally, I am still struggling with these things. So what our prayer needs to be this morning is not that, that we would determine to be better Christians, but like the song we sang earlier, that we would just be willing to surrender all. To empty ourselves before God this morning and ask Him to become the administrator of our lives. To be the King that reigns in us.